Have you ever wondered why exactly it is that things usually sound better at home than they do on stage, in auditions, or even in lessons? It's easy to chalk it up to nerves or assume that you just have to practice more or get more performance experience. And sure, those things certainly are part of the puzzle, but a lot of times that's not really the true root cause. If you've been confused by the inconsistency of your performances, I put together a free four-minute quiz called the Mental Skills Audit, which will help you pinpoint your mental strengths and weaknesses and figure out what exactly to adjust and tweak in your preparation for more consistently optimal performances. You can take the Mental Skills Audit online at bulletproofmusician.com MSA. That's MSA for Mental Skills Audit. And again, it's 100% free, and it'll take just four minutes to get your results emailed to you as a PDF. This is Noah Kageyama, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Musician Podcast. Over the last month or so, you've heard me and guest co-host Rob Knopper chat with a diverse range of musicians about different ways to stay motivated and continue to grow from teaching online to incorporating yoga into your practice to exploring strategies to make your memory more secure under pressure. This week is going to be a little different. Instead of hearing a single guest respond to a particular set of questions, you're going to hear the perspectives of three different musicians who each play different instruments but are all members of the Detroit Symphony as they respond to the same set of questions about what they have found most effective in preparing themselves for an optimal performance on audition day. As you might expect, there is some overlap between their answers, but there are also some interesting differences, suggesting that there are some common universal principles in preparing optimally for performance but also some personal idiosyncrasies that might be important to allow for as you figure out what works best for you. On Wednesday, you'll hear us chat with flutist Amanda Blakey, and a week from today, you'll hear from oboist Sarah Lewis. But we'll begin this mini-series today with third-chair violist Caroline Code as she shares some insights on what she did to stay in a good headspace backstage, what her ideal day of audition routine looked like, and what she has prioritized in the practice room during the final week leading up to auditions. My kids started watching this YouTube channel called Two Set Violin. I don't know if you've I seen do. it. Yes. yes. There was one video that um, was the 16 different kinds of people backstage, right? So there's the person eating bananas, there's a person last minute cramming, there's a person just belting out their concerto, there's the person doing yoga. Like, so there's different yes. things that happen backstage before a performance or audition. I'm curious what you find most helpful to stay in a good physical place, a good mental space, a good emotional state during the way just to be prepared for the moment. So what I've learned is actually you want to be super collegial backstage, kind and appropriate and professional, but not over not overdoing it with people. So really I found keeping to myself was really sort of best and saying to friends who, of course, you're going to see at the audition, it's really nice to see you and I'll talk to you later. So for me, best game plan is to just stay very focused on on what I'm doing and stay more quiet. When you say focused on what you're doing, like does that mean looking at the score, or listening to music or reading a book? And it, does it change as you get closer and closer to the presumed moment of? I usually go to the audition extremely well warmed up so that I don't want to play my first notes backstage. I want to almost be physically exhausted 
prior to the audition. I find that that really works for me or actually before any big performance, I want to be physically exhausted because there will be plenty of adrenaline. And so I found that that for me is, is the best. So at an audition, then I usually will be quiet and quiet meaning to myself and I'll find a corner and just play a little bit, but really lightly and softly and just kind of keep my mind focused on the job that's in front of me, which is to do my very best. Do you have a preferred type of warm-up? So whether it's in that warm-up before you go to the hall or the warm-up that you do when you get to the hall, is it, do you stay away from the excerpts or do you play other things maybe that you aren't going to have to play or do you just scales long tone? Like what, what seems to have worked for you? For me, I will be really active with the excerpts, meaning I'm digging in really slowly. Um, digging in might be the wrong word there, but I'm, I'm trying to sort of anticipate any problem that might come up. I'm hoping that in the practice room, I've literally practiced to bulletproof so that I've really um, planned everything out, all the variables, and then warming up. I do. I want to play scales. I want to play long tones. I want to keep it all sort of on the softer dynamic range just because I want to sort of keep it all about me and about my playing. I think it's so easy to get distracted by what you're hearing in the wall adjacent to you, you know, the adjacent practice room or to hear voices outside the practice space or in the case of some bigger orchestras when they have the group warm-up room that is just the most terrifying experience on the planet. I think it's really important to stay, f- I keep using the word focused, but to stay sharp and clear and um, stay in your own game, in your own in your own plan. And hopefully you've done plenty of work before that, so you're clear on what that is. I think you're specifically asking me what that is. Is that like to what? To the degree that you're to the degree. able to remember or share. Sure. Yeah. Like like the, the piano dynamic thing was really interesting, or the softer end was okay. interesting to me. Like, what is it about that that seems to work for you? So I guess in that moment, I'm imagining back when I took an audition for a major symphony orchestra that had the group practice room. And I remember thinking, this room is so loud. I could add to it by being loud also and or and, and sort of block out the sound that way. Or I could just sort of pull everything inward and keep all my energy inward and stay focused on the clarity of what I needed to do with each excerpt, with the clarity of my 10 to 12 minutes on stage with my breathing, keeping all that focused. I think it's very easy to get outside yourself and more challenging to stay really focused on what you are going to do to your best degree at that point. Is that sort of like remembering your musical cues through the excerpt as you go through it or emotion words or like what Mm, sorts of mm -hmm, mm -hmm. things do you focus on as you're getting ready for that? I love adjectives. And so I'm focused a lot on adjectives. Um, Also, obviously emotion of what's going on in the music. Um, I think I'm trying to think a lot about the contrast of what I'm going to be performing. So what my concerto offers in terms of maybe bold, extroverted character, um, contrast that with lyrical sections. And then maybe, you know, Don Juan is going to be extroverted and heroic, virtuosic. Roman Carnival might be lyrical and operatic tenor. So I'm trying to imagine how sort of the skill set that I need to bring to the table per each excerpt. 
try and think a little bit also about what the committee, why did they ask that particular excerpt and try and get in a little bit behind what they're thinking. So if they asked a particular excerpt, why the why of it? Why did they ask that? Is it the bow stroke? Is it the legato quality? Is this a a solo? Is this a section solo? Um, those kinds of things. And And to go back to the idea of quiet practicing, again, just I think kind of reining it in. It's so easy to be distracted by other people's energy. A lot of people, I think, become a little bit hyper backstage and verbose, and that's their expression, but it's going to throw me off my game, and I know that about me. And I know that I'll do better if I'm physically tired, playing-wise, that I've warmed up really well, and that I just stay quiet. And I'm assuming, just going back a second, that the asking yourself why did the committee want to hear this? That's not something you ask yourself for the first time on the day of the audition, oh, but, gosh, no. <laughs> right, but from the very beginning, and then you're reminding yourself the purpose of or your intentions for each. So it's a great question because I feel in my in my career, I, I do. I wear two hats. I wear the hat of a university professor at the University of Michigan, and I wear a hat as a professional orchestral player, third chair with Detroit Symphony. And so in training my students, what I'm saying to them is, you need to think about why the committee is asking that excerpt. I mean, these are a series of snapshots or postcards, and the idea is to figure out why. Why would they ask this? It's probably bow stroke. It might be a soft articulate bow stroke that needs to have great clarity as you play versus something that's really lyric and romantic versus something that's bold and extroverted. And so each excerpt, each idea is a little snapshot there on stage. And it's your job to perform that to your best ability. And you're right, you do need to be thinking about this as you're preparing. What type of tasks are in front of me? What do I need to ace? What are they looking for? And I think, you know, putting on the orchestral player hat of a person on a committee, we don't want students. We don't, we don't want somebody who needs to be told how to play these excerpts once they get the job. We want to have somebody who can think on their feet. And so that's something I talk to my students quite a lot about and something that I implement quite a lot in my own playing is, am I thinking on my feet? Because things will go wrong. And can you make that micro adjustment that's necessary at the moment to do what you need to do. And the only thing that you're there to do at the audition is to do your best and hopefully win, but to do your best. I mean, maybe the win that day is getting on the sub list. Maybe the win that day is getting over a block, a roadblock that you had about a particular excerpt. So it can come in many different forms of, of win. Actually, can you say something about the micro adjustment? Like, can you think of a specific example sure. of what you mean by that? Sure. Micro adjustments are something that I think we're doing all the time. So as a professional orchestral player, I'm noticing what my stand partner's uh, pitch center is, and I'm blending with him. I'm noticing, obviously, what's going on in the rest of the orchestra in, in terms of sound quality, bright, warm, dark, and trying to blend with that. So my job is to literally, as a professional, think on my feet all the time, or think in my seat might be a better way to say it as an as a orchestral professional. But in the audition process, I think it's really important to expect the unexpected. Something will go wrong. Some You'll hear a noise that throws you off a little bit, or you'll be a little bit colder than you know, there's a breeze on stage that you didn't anticipate, or your flight's running late, or your pitch center, your string slips, your peg slips, something like that. But there's always a reason to be thinking proactively and, and think on your feet. 
and be able to solve the problem. I, I think actually one of the misconceptions of auditioning is it has to be a perfect audition. And I personally do not believe in that. And I don't teach that for my students. I teach thinking on your feet so that you can adjust. You can make those micro adjustments that are necessary. Either maybe you've pulled your bow in a little close to the bridge. So maybe you need to change the sounding point a little bit, or the climate is dry and you need to, need to make an adjustment to that. But I think constantly that would happen in your recital playing that you'd be thinking on your feet. And it seems like it's something that's really vital and not taught a lot as from my experience, not taught a lot. And maybe this is a related question, but you said, and this makes sense. You don't want to hear a student on the other side of the screen. Mm-hmm. Like you want to hear artists. Like, yeah. Can you pinpoint some of the things that come across behind the screen that immediately makes mm-hmm. you think, oh, this is a pro or this is an artist? Yes. A couple things come to mind. Um, number one would be somebody, uh, say somebody behind the screen whose concerto is phenomenal. And then the excerpts are mediocre. To me, it says they didn't care enough to prepare and bring their A-game across the board. And probably they're a student in that case, maybe taking a first audition, maybe just getting their feet wet. And they should be allowed to do that. I certainly did that. I think everybody should take that first audition, but you've got to be respectful also and be respectful to your craft and to the committee's time. And why would you go and spend $1,000 or more getting someplace if you're not really truly in it? So that would be something that sounds student-y to me. The other thing would be perhaps somebody who doesn't have a good sense of rhythm and can't do that micro adjustment. Of course, we're uncomfortable. I hate nervous. I hate that word that that I, I think makes our bodies do strange things. I think uncomfortable is a better word. So we're all uncomfortable, mostly uncomfortable on stage at an audition. We're putting a lot of ourselves into this. And I think somebody who who is not able to recognize in that moment, okay, my rhythm is slightly off. I need to adjust it, fix it in the moment and get it right. Or I didn't do a great shift. I missed something here. Can you fix it? And I think that's part of the professional world is you do need to fix that. I guess an, another thing that would stick out is maybe when you get to the final round and either the curtain is down or it's clear that we're now giving some instruction from committee side to to the um, person behind the screen. And when that person is not able to adjust to me, comes across as somebody probably who is a bit of a novice in this way that, that they're not able to adjust. And I have found there are basically only four things that will be asked of you, louder, softer, faster, and slower. And I'm thinking that, again, if you go back to this idea of thinking on your feet, if you can't think on your feet and adjust and make those things obvious, make that change that comes across from the music director as a, as a discussion point um, or as a request, uh, to me, again, that shows the novice. Because a seasoned professional would know, hey, that's asked of me every day on the job, or I've heard that at my orchestra gig, and I need to do it. The key phrase seemed to be, and make that change... I don't remember exactly how you put it, but make that change apparent or make that change yes, clear. Make that, yes, right? make it clear. Make it clear. So, you know, um, be in the ballpark. You know, some of these some of these excerpts have a wide range of tempi that are acceptable. And you want to be in the correct ballpark at least. And you have to expect that when you get into the finals, if your Midsummer Night's Dream tempo is really fast, you'll probably be asked to have it could you do this again, a little slower? And you have to be able to, again, get it in the ballpark of what slower is 
not to the point of ridiculous, but what is professionally appropriate? And you want to be able to show that your stroke will remain as clear and that your precision will be as excellent and that you can do it slower or vice versa. If you're too slow, if you're too slow, you might not make the finals, but uh, you know that you're flexible, thinking on your feet and, and able to adjust. This reminds me of something Toby Apple once said. He doesn't practice what he's going to do on stage so much as he practices all the things he might do on stage. Yes. Well, I mean, isn't that the point? I, I tell my students, I talk about practicing to bulletproof. And, and the idea is that you've practiced every single variable. You've practiced with the reverse bowing. You've practiced slurs you wouldn't have normally put in. You've, you've adjusted fingering. You've adjusted timing. That, that you've got all these variables in your back pocket so that when, uh, you know, I think that's an amazing saying, that when you get on stage... Adrenaline will kick in very likely and that you want to have a certain amount of flexibility, but it's not because you're winging it. It's because you've, you've practiced it and you've got these variables that are, are a win for you. Next, we zoom out a little bit to find out what Caroline found helpful to do on the day of the audition. What is your ideal audition day itself look like? Not playing wise, but okay. like from wake up time to what you eat to uh, how you deal with the, the waiting and oh. all the way to uh, the audition moment. Oh my goodness. Well, for me, it's probably a guaranteed, not a good night's sleep the night before. So I'm going to make sure that I've slept pretty well for the couple days prior and just pretty much plan on a little bit of adrenaline or a lot of adrenaline kicking in. I actually kind of like making friends with the adrenaline because if you fight it, it just gets worse. So wake up for me. I'm an early riser. I like to get up early. I'm going to do my same regular routine. I'm going to get up and probably have a cup of coffee and probably hit the workout room. If I'm in a hotel, I might just do a workout in my own room, but at least a good hour of that. That's probably including quite a lot of stretches. But again, for me, I like to be physically tired. I, I find that that does really well for me. And that was something I've, I had to work on. I had to figure out that I do better that way. So what is your wake-up time? And then what is your oh, exercise generally? Not Wake-up is 5 or pre-5 a.m. And I like that anyway. So I'm just going to do the same routine. I'm like, gosh... I'm going to probably stay off social media. I'm going to stay away from email. It's distracting. I think that is the one day, that is the one change that I will make is I'll not try and reach out to a lot of people. You know, I'm not going to call my friends and say, I'm taking this big audition today. I'm going to be very singular of focus. And maybe that goes back to the question of quiet. I just, quiet means just stay focused on me that I'm, I'm out of town. I'm taking this audition. I want to do my best. I'd like to win. That's the plan breakfast. Absolutely. I'm going to eat. I'm going to do high protein and uh, probably fruit and no carbs. Coffee doesn't affect you negatively on audition day? You know what? I'd rather have that feel than the headache that I would have if I discontinued coffee. Yes, exactly. So I'm going to do my regular routine with that. I might water it down, down a little bit, but I'm going to, no, I'm probably going to do the coffee. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm not going to water it down. That's all a lie. Um, I think I'm going to, yeah, I, um, gosh, I still remember my hotel room when I came and took the Detroit Symphony audition and it, it was a long, I didn't play till the afternoon. So I remember I just read, 
turn on the TV a little bit, didn't call anybody. I, um, I just stayed really focused, played a lot of slow scales, did a lot of stretching. I wrote my journal a little bit, probably dear diary stuff. Wow. Today's the day. Gotta get this. <laughs> I remember my outfit. Yeah. But just mostly just, I don't know, I guess for me, the feeling of gratitude, how lucky I am to be in the city, to take this audition, to be able to play, to have the finances, to be able to do all the preparation to get to this point. And um, gosh, I hope I get on the sub list at the, at the, at the minimum. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, just stay really focused. It was a long warm up. I remember that before Detroit, a very long warm up and a five day audition, by the way. Day one, prelims. Day three, semifinals. Day five, they took it from 108 to the final group for finals. And I remember I had to be sort of on for five days. That's hard. Finally, we zoom out one more time and ask Caroline what her practice looks like in the last week leading up to the audition. When you have one week left before the audition, what does your practicing look like? And what are you spending the most time doing? And especially, how does that exactly change the last 48 hours? Okay. I'm really methodical and I'm very organized. So prior to this one week, I probably have been on some sort of rotation with the repertoire. There's probably an A set of repertoire and a B set. And so every other day I'm going through the the lists. So week of, now I'm ramping it up. I hope at that point, I've already done a bunch of mock auditions. Certainly for Detroit Symphony, I remember it was more mock auditions than I ever thought I would need. And if you think one or two are good, you're kidding yourself. Um, there's that rule of 10,000. What is it? 10,000 hours to become an expert at anything. So actually, again, putting on my teacher hat for a moment here, I, I reference that with my students. You know, how many times did you practice that shift? And they'll say, oh, you know, maybe 22 or something like that. And I'll say, really, that's all? Because to them, that seems like a victory until they know what my mental process is that, you know, I'm thinking in the hundreds, if not thousands of times for that. I think in the week before, what's really critical is the minutia of everything. Really, again, sort of practicing everything, I would say, upside down, backwards and forwards. So as a string player, reversing the bowing, practicing shifts on a reverse bowing, um, slurs that I wouldn't have done otherwise, practicing lots of variables, and maybe listening even more critically so that I can really listen to anything that's a transition that felt like maybe it was okay before? Did I really listen well? Um, Am I really playing the character? Am I in the ballpark of tempo? Um, Re-listening to recordings, multiple recordings to make sure I'm really in that ballpark of that tempo zone that's, that's really appropriate per each excerpt. Recording yourself, of course, ad nauseum. I personally have a rule though, no more than 90 seconds on, on a recording because I will not listen back. So if I do a 90 second run through, turn on the recording, do a 90 second run through, listen back and then be my own best, uh, critic is the best way to do that. Any longer, I'm going to lose interest. I'm not going to listen back. You know, those two hour recordings that you made of, of a lesson and a long practice session that you never even listened to. And that nugget that was so brilliant at minute 54, you'll never find again. So 90 seconds and that's it. So you don't ramp down, you ramp up. I ramp up. I ramp up. Yeah. Basically all the various strategies that you've used 
previously in the audition prep, you try to pack them all into the final week. Yes. Yes. With probably an emphasis on everything slower. So lots of slow practice. Um, I kind of call it dipping my toe into the pool. So a lot of slow practice. I like three tempi, slow, medium, and at, at tempo. And so a lot of slow practice, a lot of medium practice, medium tempo, and then touching my toe in the, in the pool and making sure at tempo works and then backing right out of that again. So spending a lot of time with the minutia of, is that articulation clear? A lot of, a lot of off the string playing too, you know, are those off the string excerpts really clean? A lot of mental focus too. What's that committee? Wait, let me, let me, let me double check the list and make sure because I've gotten caught once with, there was a wicked page turn and a little bit more and uh, I had to figure out a few minutes before, uh, no, it was the night before, how to do the page turn. This was back in the 90s. <laughs> you know, how to do the page turn, how to get that successfully across in the audition. I knew the notes, that was not a problem, but just the mechanics of the page over and how to do that. But um, yeah, did I check the tempos? Um, are transitions good? How's my intonation? Yeah, ramping it up, really micro, micro looking at everything. Yeah. And then in the last couple of days, is there anything different? Oh gosh, the dishes don't don't get done, do they? The dishes don't get done. Um, I hope that I would have packed something reasonable, so cooked something reasonable a couple of days before because the adrenaline is going a little bit nuts. Um, I think I just kind of ignore every outside force phone calls, emails. Honestly, it's all about me and my playing at that point. It's really, it's not about me. It's about the playing, but it's about the investment of, I'm about to take this big audition. I'm going to travel. Is my bag packed? It's not your time to visit every single person you ever went to summer camp with who lives in that town. That's my thinking is it's really your turn to be very selfish and, and go and do your best. You can read the full transcript and check out the show notes for Caroline's episode at bulletproofmusician.com slash blog. Also, keep an eye out for part two in this three-part miniseries. On Wednesday, Caroline's Detroit Symphony colleague, flutist Amanda Blakey, will share her strategies for staying in a good headspace backstage and making the most of the final week leading up to audition day. Audition day.